Thank you. <laughs> Sorry. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Bhagavad Gita, as it is, fifth chapter, Karma Yoga, Action in Krishna Consciousness, text number 20. Na pradisyet priyam prapya. Nodvijit prapya chapriham. Stira budira samudo. Brahma vit brahmanistitaha. Napradisyat priyam prapya. Nodvijit prapya chapriham. Priyam, Stira Budira Samudo, Brahma Vit Brahmanistita, Napradisyat Priyam Prapya, Nodvijit Prapya Chapriyam. Shira Budira Samudha Brahma Vid Brahmanistita
No. Never. Praise. Rejoices. Triam. The pleasant. Prapya. Achieving. No. Does not. Udvija. Become agitated. Prapya. Obtaining. Cha. Also. Apriyam. The unpleasant. Stirapudi. Self intelligent. Asamudaha. Unbewildered. Brahmavid. One who knows the stream perfectly. Brahmani. In the transcendence. Sitaha. Situated. A person who neither rejoices upon achieving something pleasant nor laments upon obtaining something unpleasant, who's self-intelligent, who's unbewildered and who knows the science of God, is already situated in transcendence. Purport. The symptoms of the self-realized person are given herein. The first symptom is that he's not illusioned by the false identification of the body with his true self. He knows perfectly well that he's not this body, but it's the fragmental portion of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. He's therefore not joyful in achieving something, nor does he lament in losing anything, which is related to his body. This steadiness of mind is called stira bodhi, or self-intelligence. He is therefore never bewildered by mistaking the gross body for the soul, nor does he accept the body as permanent and disregard the existence of the soul. This knowledge elevates him to the station of knowing the complete science of the absolute truth, namely Brahman, Paramatma, and Bhagavan. He thus knows his constitutional position very well, without falsely trying to become one with the Supreme in all respect. This is called Brahman realization or self-realization. Such steady consciousness is called Krishna consciousness. Om Ajnana Timirandasya Gyananana Sarakeya Shaksurun Nilitam Yena Tasmai Sri Gurudevama Sri Chaitanya Manolestam Stapitam Yena Gutadehe Swayam Rupa Karamayam Narati Swapanantikam Vandeham Sikurao Si Yuta Padakamalam Si Gurun Vaisnamsta Si Rupam Sagrajatam Sahagana Raganatam Rupam Tam Sajivam Sadvetam Savadutam Parijana Saitam Krishna Chaitanya Devam Si Radha Krishna Padam Sahagana Narita Siddhisakandhidamscha He Krishna Karuna Sinna Dinavanda Jagatate Opisa Gopika Kanta Radha Kanta Namaste Tapta Kanchana Gaurangi Rathe Vindavaneshwari Vishabhanu Sutta Devi 
gave us the greatest gift. Um, and that greatest gift is exactly this vision of transcendence, that we are not this body. How many times did, did he say it? How many times did he emphasize it? And to a point where we thought, yes, yes, we know. But do we know? <laughs> Obviously, there is a huge difference between having heard transcendental knowledge and being able to repeat transcendental knowledge and to live transcendental knowledge. Uh -huh. Don't lock it. Yeah, don't lock. Um, so, transcendental knowledge is meant to be realized. Initially, we develop some faith because we are hearing from one who is clearly showing transcendental symptoms. This is simply how Srila Prabhupada preached huh? on the strength of his faith. It was his, his faith in Krishna that impressed people. It was his faith in scripture that impressed people. And one thing that impressed people, at least we hear from testimonies, is that what impressed them about Prabhupada was that he didn't try to impress anybody. That's not so easy. Um, that truly means we're not this body. We decorate our body. We are uh, decorating it with dress. We're decorating it with prestige, with degrees, with wealth. Uh, we decorate our bodies in so many ways. And all that makes up our identity. I don't know what these microphones are doing, but it's really too much. Um, our identity, um, therefore, from childhood, is greatly identified with the material body. It is stated that one has to take a second birth right, by Vedapatit, 
Bhavadvija. By following the path of the Vedas, are we becoming twice born? So that is a fact that second birth has to be there. In other words, we have to rise above the bodily concept of life because we start out with the bodily concept of life. Some of us never come out of it and stay our whole life in the bodily concept of life. Um, so it is certainly challenging. Um, but it, it requires a great level of detachment from the body. Um, if we are indeed not the body, then all the things that are happening to this body are also not of the greatest importance. They're only of temporary importance. Uh, and of course, temporary things, yes, maybe of value, but they cannot be compared to true benefit, which is eternal. Um, so in this way, we see that the needs of the body or the experience of the body are considered separate. Now, in this material world, we are, as we are receiving transcendental knowledge, we are simultaneously moving on two tracks. One is the material track, our physical existence, the phenomenal world. We take a place in the phenomenal world. Uh, we live somewhere in that phenomenal world. We have a, we have a means to make our money, we have a means to, uh, that microphone moves the technician, can we just slightly turn it down? It's like, so, The identification comes from investment. We need to invest in our physical needs. It's inevitable. Right? It's, and depending on the, on the time, place, and circumstance. Uh, when I lived here in Vrindavan, in, in the 70s, uh, life was very simple. Um, in front of the temple, Srila Prabhupada Samadhi was not there. In front of the temple, there was a well. And from that well, with a bucket, one could pull up some drinking water. It was very sweet water. It was good water. And then someone would, with a lota, would serve that out. And drink with the hand, simple, right? And or you could fill your matka, your clay pot, with some some water. Uh, there was a fan, but most of the time it didn't work because most of the time there was no electricity, and there was straw mat, and uh, clothes were in a, in a trunk. Uh, and that was about it, you know, a few books, and for the rest, uh, very basic, simple, 
living. The advantage of those kind of circumstances is that we invest very little in material arrangements and that leaves us a lot of time and energy to invest on the spiritual side of things. Under such circumstances, one can actually read the Gita. One can actually remind himself of transcendental knowledge regularly. One can actually, uh, when it's too hot to sleep, then we may as well get up early and take a bath and chant. Of course, there were also not as many monkeys as now, so we could sleep on the roof. So Krishna was also making arrangements so that we could somehow or other survive. Um, so when, when, when we invest little on the material side, it leaves more opportunity to invest in, trans in cultivation of our, of our bhakti. Um, Rupa Goswami describes bhakti in three stages. He describes bhakti in cultivation, bhakti in ecstasy, and bhakti in pure love. Sadhana bhakti, bhava bhakti, prema bhakti. So, for most of us, it remains in the stage of sadhana bhakti. So when we're speaking about the transcendental position in sadhana bhakti, then we're speaking about giving priority to the transcendental position. That means, yes, like it is stated here, uh, that we are not rejoicing upon achieving something pleasant, nor lamenting about obtaining something unpleasant. So try to be acupoised, try not to become too much uh, influenced by gain and loss, and just see, these things are, are simply the arrangements of the three modes of material nature, and which comes in different waves, and is always temporary. So whatever we gain is temporary, whatever we lose is temporary. So therefore, it's not so important. Hmm. So in, in the stage of sadhana, we are simply reminding ourselves of this position. Uh, and in that way, we are taking shelter of the transcendental position. Now that is the, the point, taking shelter. Taking shelter of the transcendental position. For most of us, that is really what spiritual life is about. Huh? Again and again, taking shelter of the holy name, taking shelter of the knowledge of the Gita, taking shelter of this knowledge that we are not the body, that we are eternal spirit soul, that we are eternal servant of Krishna. And eternal means nothing in the world can change it, because it's eternal. Uh, in this way, uh, by regular cultivation, we become at least firmly fixed. Nista. Right? Nista is the stage of bhakti where we are firmly fixed in transcendence. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that at that stage Maya has no influence. Srila Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur points out that uh, at Nista, 
Maya is at some distance, but the material desires are still uh, emerging in the consciousness of, of the aspiring devotee. Uh, so in that way, there's still the inner battle with Maya. It's not that the battle is won, but we are now properly standing on a platform of, of a good spiritual culture. That is required. Prior to that, we may be struggling with our mind and senses and sometimes lose. And the senses win. Little slip on the path. That, in an earlier stage, may occur. Um, but in Nista, one is firmly risen above. Um, firmly. Then, no fall down. Although, the temptation is still there. The attraction to the material energy is still there. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, there are so many examples. Sometimes I use the example, uh, it's, it's a cold morning and one is walking somewhere in a city and we smell fresh bread and cold, hungry, fresh bread, naturally some water comes in the mouth. Demon. <laughs> That's not vegetarian, right? But the senses respond. The senses do respond somehow or other. But by intelligent, we cut. So this may be the stage of Nista, where the senses may still respond to material impulses. Even one, one whose cloth is of a perfect color of saffron can still see which lady is more beautiful than the other ones. Uh, very quickly also. <laughs> it takes only one glance and a man can see. That is the nature of material existence. So in this stage of Nista, all these influences are still present. But there we are firmly fixed. First of all, Nista means we have no faith in matter. We have no faith in the material energy. Although, at least, we have enough doubt in the material energy to say, no, I'm not going for it. But then again, the attraction may come, saying, no, we are firm in saying no. In more advanced stages, um, from ruchi to ashakti to bhava to pain, in ruchi, in that stage, spiritual life becomes greatly inspired. It's that taste, it's that inspiration that is driving everything constantly. I'm not talking about moments of inspiration. Sometimes something feels very nice. No, it's a constant state. Srila Vishwanath sort of now says, the surface of the entire consciousness is covered by this taste. He says, in a shakti, that same, that same ruchi, that same taste goes deep under the surface. 
In other words, one's attachment to Krishna is growing deeper and deeper to a point where Krishna automatically becomes the real source of our pleasure. Other things look bleak. Other things look meaningless. But still, uh, Maya is still present at a distance. But one knows one must remain focused. One must continue to take shelter. Um, all alone, we know, take shelter, take shelter, take shelter. In the, if we may sometimes speak about the battle with Maya or the war on illusion, you know, then we're speaking in a war also, right? Heroes are not the guys that walk around, you know, like, like Rambo, ready to take the bullets, you know. <laughs> it's the guys that duck, you know, and that take shelter, right, that are the survivors. Yes? Um, taking shelter is really where we survive in spiritual life. How transcendental are we? Uh, we also sometimes feel that this movement is transcendental, the deities are transcendental, the holy name is transcendental, prasadam is transcendental, the temple is transcendental, everybody is transcendental except me. <laughs> huh? Definitely, we all are confronted with our lack of deep realization. And I'm not talking about strong intellectual conviction, but like deep, deep attraction to Krishna in the heart. It's wonderful if we can uh, recite the entire Bhagavad Gita by heart. Definitely very wonderful. But if we can even realize one verse in our heart, that's more wonderful. We can compare the Bhagavad Gita for a moment to a cookbook. And it is certainly amazing if someone can recite an entire cookbook by heart. <laughs> Imagine all the recipes and a pinch of salt and, you know, and, and this and that. Imagine. I mean, we'd certainly give an applause if someone recites the cookbook. But if someone cooks one recipe really well, that wins, <laughs> naturally. So it is realization that is really what it's all about. That realization comes in that ashakta manaha, in that deep attachment to Krishna, in that our consciousness is attached to Krishna, attached to pleasing Krishna. Um, totally attached to Krishna, to pleasing Krishna. We have just celebrated Radhastami, and at that time, the theme uh, entirely of the gopis in Vrindavan is pleasing Krishna. Yeah. And then, one day, Akrura came, and there was this chariot in front of the house of Nanda Maharaj, and then Akrura came, and then Akrura uh, passed on the news that Krishna was invited to come, and then Krishna so easily wanted to come, and Nanda agreed, and there Krishna and Balaram went off on the chariot. The gopis, they tried to stop the chariot. Now, the question may be raised, 
Why? Why? It was, the gopis were looking at Krishna, and it looked as if Krishna wanted to go. So, then, if they were completely surrendered to satisfying his desires, why didn't they walk in front of the chariots and throw flowers in front the whole way? Huh? Krishna wants to go, and they are stopping his chariot. Is this acting for the pleasure of Krishna? Or was there selfish desire? Were they really completely free from selfish desire when they tried to stop Krishna? He wanted to go, so help him to go. What's the problem? No, the gopis knew Krishna has gone mad. Krishna has lost it. Krishna doesn't understand his, what's in his own interest. If Krishna will leave Vrindavan, he cannot be happy. Therefore, we cannot let Krishna leave Vrindavan. So they did not think if Krishna leaves Vrindavan, we will not be happy. No, they thought if Krishna leaves Vrindavan, Krishna will not be happy. This is praying. There is no, no trace of any selfish desire. It is simply only one desire, to please Krishna. That is pure transcendence. That goes beyond realizing we're not the body. That goes, that's the deepest level where we are really not identifying with the body. And uh, where we only utilize our senses, our body, huh? for the service of Krishna. At that stage, one doesn't turn away from the body. In order to overcome the pushings of the senses, we may cultivate some detachment. Fasting every courtesy. And, you know, no water in Nirjal, in June, in Vrindavan. When it's like 48, 49, now it's only 36. So, 48, 49, near Jahav. Ha! At 5 o'clock in the morning, you're already half dead. Really. It's like no water. If you make it till noon, you're dizzy. If you make it till 4 o'clock, you're crawling. By, by midnight, you definitely lie down. If you survive it, the next morning, ha! Can't wait huh, for some water. Ah. Yes. So such kind of austerities um, can help us, renunciation can help us a little bit to overcome the pushings of the material energy that keep on attacking the senses. But Srila Rupa Goswami says only a little. It is attraction to, to Krishna, attraction to serving Krishna. Now we serve Krishna with all of our senses um, and engage all of our senses connected to Krishna. It begins with sravanam, sravanam, kirtanam, vishnu, smaranam. It all begins with hearing. If we don't hear, about Krishna, we cannot develop transcendental consciousness. 
This is our biggest problem. We're not hearing enough. We don't hear enough. Um, we never find time to really read Srila Prabhupada's books. We have so much time to read so many things on a screen or something, but no time to penetrate deep into these books. Not only to read them, but to discover who Krishna is. Unless we know who Krishna is, how can we appreciate Krishna? Unless we understand that Krishna uh, has amazing qualities, how can, we how can we be attracted to Krishna? Um, when we hear all the details about Krishna, and we see um, Krishna's playfulness, and yet we see how behind it, behind it all, Krishna is completely normal. He is completely the well-wisher of, of all living beings. And so, how can one be in the transcendental position if we don't trust Krishna? If we don't believe he's all good? Huh? I said, you know, God is omniscient, he's omnipotent, he is omnibenevolent. He is all good. Are you sure? When Krishna is all good, then we cannot become angry with him. Then there's no question of any anger when, when anything in life goes wrong. So to accept Krishna as all good is essential. If, because then we are sure that he is our shelter. And when we are sure that he is our shelter, then we can, you know, stop taking shelter in the body. Otherwise, we somehow or other take shelter in our body, in our physical situation, in the phenomenal world, wherever we are. Huh? In a place which we know where everything is arranged for our, according to our taste, for our security, where we feel safe and sheltered. But... Because Krishna is all good, therefore we are fully sheltered in Krishna. Then whatever happens is also good. Because He is the Hetu, He is the cause of everything and the controller. So when we can accept that and embrace that and see behind it, the ultimate good purpose of Krishna, then we can fully take shelter in Him, accept His arrangements, and then we can give up this tendency to try and manipulate and control the material energy into our favor. Right? For which we have studied, for which we have, you know, got a degree, for which we, just so that we know a little better, how to manipulate the material energy. Then you can make a lot of money, and then with that you can buy almost anything. Uh, so, it takes, it is said, that anattapasamam saksat bhakti yoga madoksha jay, that 
uh, our heart is automatically purified in the process of devotional service. So all we have to do is engage with great force in devotional service. Akama Whether you have material desires, whether you don't have material desires, engage in devotional service with great force. Right? So, that's there. But, so this speaks about the first verse, Anartapasman Saksat, speaks about the automatic power of devotional service. As long as you engage in devotional service, then automatically we will be purified. Yes. But, it doesn't mean just serve, serve, and never think, and one day you will wake up with Krishna praying. No. It means that as we are serving, that we are becoming more conscious. And we're becoming more conscious about Krishna, who He is, what pleases Him, what is important. We begin to, our priorities begin to shift. And gradually, the material things look smaller. And spiritual life, Krishna, looks more important. And so, there's a gradual shift in awareness. We are consciously choosing for Krishna because He's indeed wonderful. Yeah. He's indeed wonderful. He's amazing. There's nothing better. So we don't look back. Um, we don't look back. So this is what it means, this position of transcendence. We don't look back. We only look at Krishna and know that Krishna is merciful. Krishna is kind. Um, Krishna is not going to appure, uh, uh, approach us and measure how pure we really are. Of course, Krishna wants to see dedication. He wants to see sincerity. But He comes our way with a lot of mercy. That's very important. Because it's very hard to become completely free from even the slightest pressure of maya. I said, from this to on, we can say no. In Ruchi, it's even further away. In Ashakti, more in the background. In Bhava, it's still there, but one still experiences a sense of suffering. It says, only in praying is there not a trace of the illusory energy. But even if there is a trace of the illusory energy, we have no fear. Because we know Krishna is the truth. And we know that Krishna will give us shelter. Not only is He our shelter, but He will, will give us shelter because He's very merciful. And all the devotees, when they pray for us, then how can Krishna deny? Therefore, we all pray for each other. This is our business. We don't pray for ourselves. We pray for everybody else. And in this way, um, we all get the mercy of the devotees and Krishna in that way. We don't have to worry about the body. We are not this body. We are eternal spirit soul. And Krishna is all merciful. He is 
all good. All right, any questions, any comments? I have 10 minutes for your response. Yes, there's a microphone coming, I think. Yes. If you're over more like that, it gets better. Thank you, Thank you for the answer. At the end, you were mentioning how we don't pray for ourselves, but we pray for others. Uh, what was coming to mind with that sort of point is how oftentimes, at least I, I myself, I find myself praying around improving my services and making things, as you often mention, like go big, you know, desire big and so on in our services. So I just wanted to know you. Thoughts and renewed about that, about ourselves. Praying for ourselves. Yes, if we pray for ourselves, for help in devotional service, or that we may improve our services, our sadhana, such prayers are a lot better than materialistic prayers. Right. Certainly. Such prayers, therefore, are auspicious prayers when we are praying for um, more support, better facility in spiritual life. But when we start to pray for the benefit of others, that's yet another level. That's yet a level. Um, that's the level where spiritual life becomes spontaneous, you see. The first type of prayer belongs to the realm of Vaidhi Bhakti, to the realm of rules and regulations. Um, but the second part, where we start to live for the welfare of others, that is the part where spiritual life becomes very exciting. Because after all, Krishna's Kaviraj Goswami writes in the Chaitanya Charge, Amrita Ali Lila, chapter 8, that as we give away the fruits of love of God to others, we'll find that afterwards we had more than we had before. So it is, it is becoming very exciting. The more you give, the more starts happening, the more you realize, the more spiritual life that begins to become very rich and exciting. So it is there where we enter into the realm of spontaneous devotional service, which is the real bhakti. That's where real bhakti is, is beginning to flourish. So let us pray for others. We don't have to worry about ourselves Krishna already knows. He knows everything. Why do we have to ask him for anything? He knows everything better than we know. Even what we forgot, he still remembers. So, you know, if he had, had some desires, we go, go with a whole list of prayers, and Krishna can say, you forgot a few. <laughs> yeah. huh? Krishna, he knows our, our desires better than we So we don't need to pray for them. But for others, yes, we pray for others because 
Then we use whatever credit we have with, with Krishna, whatever service we've done for Krishna, we use that. And it's hard for Krishna to say no when you ask, you know. Please give some mercy to this person. How can Krishna deny when, when, when someone has already for long done service for Krishna? Krishna is indebted. So Krishna will respond to such prayers. So we should all pray for others. And then automatically, they'll pray for us, so don't worry. <laughs> We're not going to miss out. So let that be the deal. I'll pray for you. And you pray for me. <laughs> yes. I'm going to give you a microphone. Hold your hand up, otherwise they don't know where it goes. Hare Krishna Maharaj, thank you for speaking. Um, I had a question on authenticity. And what I mean by that is, like how you were just saying with Prabhu, we have to pray for others. So my first part of the question is, how do we sincerely hope others instead of just being fake like you know any brothers. And also in the class you were talking about transcendence and <coughs> the levels of bhakti and how we go deeper and deeper. So the second scenario which I want to ask how do we work the authentic is how do we truly dissociate from this bodily conception in a way that's real and not just you know trying to do some austerity. Yeah. Yes, as you say, you, you raise the point of authenticity. And um, I discussed different levels of transcendence. And in the earlier stages, up to praying, we're dealing with the divided self. Okay? We're always living with the divided self. We always have these two sides in us. Well, the higher nature, lower nature, and we, we ignore the lower nature and we're becoming stronger in saying no to the lower nature over time by investing in spiritual activity and so on. And so what is that authenticity? Currently, our authenticity, we're authentically a divided self. That's That's... That's what we are. Um, so, uh, therefore, uh, now being authentic sort of indicates accepting ourselves, you know, and really like expressing ourselves according to who we really, really, really are. Uh, you can only do that in the topmost stages of bhakti, in the in the other stages of bhakti, as I went through them step by step, in the other stages, the influence of maya remains. That means there's an influence of lower nature presence which needs to be ignored, which needs to be controlled. Or, Of course, in an advanced state, it's practically like a reflex, obvious. Uh, but, yeah, you know, like... Uh, we find in the Bhagavatam the description of Sukadev Kaswami, 16 years old, walking away, going through the forest, some young girls bathing in the forest, not dressed because they were just amongst themselves. Sukadev walks past and the girls didn't cover their bodies, although he was 16 years old and fully developed, because 
He was totally innocent. He had absolutely no desire to enjoy. Then Vyasadev comes next. He's dressed, but the girls quickly jump out and also get dressed um, because he's representing a grihasta who's making distinction. So there we see that total level of transcendence in, uh, in Sukadev Goswami. Another example is Uddhava. Uddhava saw a beautiful girl. Uddhava became attracted to this girl just as much as he was normally getting attracted to Krishna. He said, what is this? I think this girl is Krishna dressed up like a girl. And that's what it was. <laughs> so that's another level of, of being free from any desire for material enjoyment. Um, and the Bhagavatam states the entire material world is a backdrop for sex life. And it says that lust is present in all the 8,400,000 species. Have you ever thought of that? Even the bacteria. Yeah. So it's, it's not so easy. So authenticity... Yes, naturalness, yes, but purified naturalness, purified authenticity. And so otherwise, we cannot get too authentic in the wrong direction, because then we become authentic animals. <laughs> okay, it's seven o'clock, so... Uh, we're gonna. This is India, so you can never end in time. Welcome to India. Maharaj, in this verse, there is about rejoicing, uh, one should not rejoice, but when we talk about the devotees of the Lord, gopis, do they rejoice when they are serving the Lord to see the Lord's feet? Yeah, but you know, we can read this text like a lawyer. And, you know, and put a dictionary next to it and say what, or we can read it uh, like a philosopher. When we read it as a philosopher, we understand that the word rejoicing here uh, applies to a particular aspect, right? And that it uh, applies to achieving things in this world, such as rejoicing or lamenting. It's clearly uh, referring to what we attain on the bodily platform. That whatever we rejoice about what we attain in spiritual life, that's another thing. Susukkam Kattamaviyam is joyfully performed. Their joy is inevitable because we are parts and parcels of Krishna and He's the supreme enjoyer. So we cannot give up being enjoyers because we are a, a little spark of the supreme enjoyer Therefore, we're also enjoyers. What to do about that? So we cannot stop being enjoyers. Maya bodies are trying. Buddhists are trying. But that is artificial. By nature, we are always enjoyers. But not about rejoicing about material loss and gain. Um, or I believe rejoicing, lamenting. That's clearly the, the meaning. All right. I thank you all very much and uh, looking forward to meeting many of you.
in the following days in various places. Oops. And uh, yeah, and to continue discussions related to Krishna. Very simple. Not trying to make it too complicated, but just spend our time with Krishna. And as long as we do that, then that Maya influence will diminish and the authentic higher nature will become stronger and stronger. Thank you.